Before tonight's episode, I want to let you know about our supporters feed, Get Sleepy Premium, the best way to experience the show and get a good night's sleep. With Get Sleepy Premium, everything is ad-free. You'll receive a bonus episode every week and have full access to our entire back catalogue. Your support really helps and means so much to us. Simply tap the link in the show notes to learn more. Now, a quick word from our sponsors who make it possible for us to bring you two free episodes each week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Get Sleepy, the podcast where we listen, we relax, and we get sleepy. I'm Thomas, your host. Thanks for tuning in. Tonight, Evie is back to read our story as we return to the Library of Time and visit ancient Britain, where we'll meet Queen Boudicca a folk hero and real-life warrior queen. So, let's settle in for our story now and let go of any remnants of tension or energy from the day. Begin with some deep breaths, drawing the air in, feeling the chest and stomach rise. Then, gently easing the air back out as your diaphragm relaxes back down. Starting at the top of your head, let's just scan over each area of your body, acknowledging any tension, discomfort, excess energy, or whatever you feel as we go. Continue to breathe deeply and let your focus rest on your head and face for a moment. If there's any tension, allow the calming depth of your breathing to bring a sense of relaxation to your head and face. Then, scan down through the neck and into the shoulders. This is where most of us tend to hold a lot of stress and tension. So spend a moment here, cycling through a couple of deep breaths, allowing that tension to flow away with each exhale. Continue this process as you scan through your chest and your back. And take one more deep breath, letting go of tension in the whole top half of your body. Now, 
focus on your upper legs and allow a greater sense of ease in that area as you breathe. Scan over your knees and into the lower legs now. Through the ankles and into the tops of your feet. And finally, the soles of your feet. With one last deep breath in and back out, feel your whole body relax. As you continue making your way to sleep, let your imagination guide you on this adventure into the past. Our story begins late one night, standing outside a library. It's old, very old, and there's something magical about it. This is the Library of Time. Let's make our way in and see what the library has in store for us tonight. Standing in front of these doors, you are enchanted by their rich, woody aroma and smooth, glossy finish. Each of the mahogany door frames is bordered by a pattern. It's one that you recognize as a Celtic knot, having no end and no beginning. It's a beautiful design, even more so upon the dark wood. Curious, you reach out a hand and trace your fingers across the endless twists and turns. Together, the two doors meet to form a central picture a figure carved into the mahogany. She is a beautiful and formidable woman, with a crown upon her head and a mane of curly hair flowing wildly behind her. In one hand, she holds a spear, whilst the other is raised in proud defiance. There she stands, magnificent upon a glorious chariot, pulled behind two stallions, rearing up on their hind legs. Trailing your fingers over them, you can almost hear them whinnying. Who is this remarkable woman, you wonder? And what stories can be found behind her? through these ancient doors. Keen to find out, you turn the brass handle. The heavy doors creak open softly. You find yourself on the threshold of a magnificent library. You pause for a moment and take in your surroundings. From the white marble floor to the stunning sunken panels of the coffered ceiling. The walls are made of stone, dotted with stained glass windows depicting various scenes. 
daylight shines through them, bringing their pains to life in glorious colours that dance across the ground. You walk forwards now, across the smooth floor, under the glow of an impressive chandelier, dripping with crystals. In its soothing light, you notice two curving stairways with a golden plaque positioned between them. Curious, you step closer and read aloud the words upon the sign. It says, Welcome to the Library of Time. Only the most curious of souls can find this place. Each and every book connects to a different time and place. While in the past, you will neither be seen nor heard. You cannot change the past. After all, you can only learn from it. And learn you shall. Can this be real? You wonder silently. With a smile upon your face, you head up the spiral staircase. Gradually, the second floor comes into view, revealing row after row of bookshelves, separated by white marble columns. Each shelf is crowded with books, ancient tomes letting off a familiar scent that is both musky and magical. After casting your eyes around the room, you wander to the right, where a particular book has caught your attention. It's forest green in colour, with a spine bordered by that same Celtic knot you saw upon the doorframe. There's no title on its thick spine, only a date, 60 CE. Pulling it down, you are surprised by the velvety softness of its cover and how light it is in your hand. You walk onwards now, past the rows of shelves and columns that touch the ceiling. You are drawn towards a cosy corner and the gentle glow of light radiating from it. Here you find a mound of cushions positioned directly beneath a skylight in the ceiling. Some of the cushions are the same forest green as the cover of your book. They glow like emeralds under the spotlight of the window. Others are patterned with bright green tartan and display a crisscross design of blues, whites and reds. You take a seat amongst the cushions relaxing into them and appreciating the soft woolen texture against your skin. Once you are comfortable, you turn your attention to the book, enjoying the crinkling sound of pages being turned. You begin to read. In 43 CE, the new emperor, Claudius, looked to expand the mighty Roman Empire further. Keen to establish power and regard, he set his sights on the long sought-after island of Britain. Then known as Britannia, it had been inhabited by indigenous tribes since the Iron Age, many of whom are thought to have migrated from what is now Europe. History will refer to these people collectively as the Celts. But in truth, 
there were great differences among the tribes. Each one had its own kingdom, dialect, customs, and traditions. Something that the Celts did share was a reputation for being fearsome warriors. Yet still, they were no match for the power and might of the Roman legions. Upon Claudius's orders, 40,000 troops landed in the southeast of England. They defeated the eastern tribes with relative ease. From then on, many of the tribal leaders had few options other than to work with rather than against their Roman conquerors. One such leader was a king of the eastern Iceni tribe, who continued to rule as an independent ally of Rome. Like many of his neighbours in what is today Norfolk and Suffolk on the southeast coast, his people traded with the Romans and began laying the early foundations of a Romano-British culture. And there was peace, though sadly, it wasn't to last. When he died, he bequeathed his kingdom to his two daughters and to the Roman emperor. His wife, Queen Boudicca, became sole ruler of the Iceni. In Celtic culture, it was possible for a woman to rise to such a rank. To the Romans, however, a woman would never be acknowledged or respected as a leader. And so, they disregarded the peace treaties and annexed the kingdom taking the Iceni by force. But underestimating Boudicca was a mistake. She proved to be a ferocious opponent and a skilled and capable leader. She persuaded local tribes to unite under her rule against their common enemy, the Romans. Fueled with the fire of vengeance, Boudicca mounted a powerful and organised uprising. With each move, she gained new followers, and by the time of her final battle, had amassed an army of 230,000. Ultimately, Boudicca and the Iceni were unable to stop the Roman conquest of Britain, though it would take another 40 years. She did teach them an important lesson, though, one that shook the great and powerful empire to its core. As Roman statesman and historian Cassius Dio wrote, all this ruin was brought upon the Romans by a woman a fact which in itself caused them the greatest shame. The name Boudicca, or Bodicea as she is sometimes called, comes from the Celtic word meaning victory. And despite her eventual defeat, her legacy seems as victorious as any person might hope for. To this day, she is known as the warrior queen who defied the greatest army in the world. You pause for a moment. What a story, you think to yourself. Setting down the book by your side, you place your hands behind your head and look upwards into the atrium window. Your mind returns to the library door 
and its central figure, a crowned woman with a sword in one hand and the other arm raised, her wild hair flowing behind her. For just a moment, you allow your eyes to close. A strange sensation takes hold of you. At first, it feels as if you're sinking deep into the soft, evergreen cushions beneath you. And then, you are lighter. So light, it's as if you are floating through time and space to a place that feels safe and familiar and yet like nowhere you've ever been before. Opening your eyes, you see that same figure who was carved upon the library door. And so you assume you are still daydreaming. Only now, before your very eyes, something seems to be happening. The wood begins to take on colour. The Queen's face and body come to life, decorated with the bright blue of Celtic battle paint. Her hair is a fiery red, and her dress is a stunning shade of green tartan, not unlike the patterned pillows on the atrium floor. The chariot she stands upon is gold, and the horses that pull it are chestnut brown. You are utterly transfixed by the beauty and stature of this warrior queen and the magical transformation taking place before you. Looking down, you see you're standing on muddy ground. Fresh air fills your lungs. All around you is the English countryside of centuries past. The air begins to tremble with sound and movement. Behind the two majestic horses, her golden chariot rolls towards you, glistening in the sunlight. She circles the area once and then again, never losing her poise for even a second, despite the somewhat bumpy ride. Her wild mane of long red hair twists and turns in the wind, dancing about her face. Her tartan cloak billows around her, pinned at the neckline with a beautiful gold brooch. As she rides around you, a mischievous smile plays across her face. Eventually, the horses slow, and Boudicca brings her glorious chariot to a stop, just metres away from where you stand. Up close, she is even more impressive, tall and imposing, every bit the warrior queen with her face painted in swirling sapphire patterns. She looks in your direction, and for a moment, you wonder if she can see you. But soon her piercing green eyes move on, looking right through you as if you were invisible. You remember the plaque upon the library wall. While in the past, you will neither be seen nor heard. How wonderful, you think, to have a front row seat without anyone knowing you were there. Realising this, 
something inside of you begins to relax. Your shoulders drop an inch lower and your legs and arms feel free and lightweight. You follow the queen as she descends from her chariot and walks ahead. Only now do you take a moment to truly study your surroundings. You are standing atop a great dugout hill, or hill fort to be precise, an easily defendable community settlement of Iron Age Britons. Casting your gaze from left to right, you note that much of the settlement is enclosed by a high timber wall. This adds to the feeling of protection that naturally comes from being so high up on the land. From here, you have a bird's eye view of the vast acres of lush, green countryside beyond the wall. Immediately beneath the fort are cattle, sheep, goats and pigs, penned in by wooden fences and carefully tended to by men and women. There is also a large crop field where many people are currently at work farming the land. Men cut through the heavy soil with wooden ploughs pulled by huge plodding oxen, leaving straight lines behind them. Further away, you notice a thin blue strip of water visible under the horizon. You must be on the eastern coast of Britannia, where the Iceni reside. That means the water is the English Channel, or the Narrow Sea, as the Romans called it. Even from a distance, its rhythmic, tranquil waves greet you like an old friend. A salty, refreshing scent hangs upon the air. For a moment, you are mesmerized, taking it all in. Eventually, your attention shifts to life inside the hill fort. Here, the air is filled with the sound of many hands and feet at work, and is occasionally peppered with conversation. There are huts, or roundhouses, with walls made of earth, stone and timber. Their roofs are rounded and thatched with reeds. Some have animals outside, lounging happily upon sun-soaked grass. Others boast vegetable patches, with rows of cabbages and corn popping up above the ground, climbing towards the patchy daylight. You walk into the middle of the settlement with roundhouses on either side. The sounds of life become livelier here. There are people everywhere, happily going about their day, completely unaware of your presence. The men wear tunics tied at the waist with a belt, while the women wear floor-length dresses. Both have cloaks of tartan, always the same shades of crisscross lines worn by the Queen. The exact design that decorated the library cushions. In many ways, you are amazed by the quality and style of these fabrics. The colours are so bright and vivid, the lines are so straight and the needlework is so smooth. And just as you are imagining how such a material might be made, you pass a group of women 
doing that very thing. Near the entrance to a roundhouse, a young woman stirs thread of wool into a barrel full of liquid. It makes a tranquil sound, like the waves of the narrow sea lapping against the coastal shores. Closer examination reveals that the liquid is an intense shade of blue. As you stand above it, you catch a whiff of the sweet aroma of blueberries. Beside her, another woman stands at a wooden loom with already dyed thread of green, white, red and blue. Carefully, she draws the thread across the loom, weaving with expert dexterity and attention to detail. It's incredible to you that people who lived 2,000 years in the past could produce such beautiful and flawless designs. Now you can see firsthand how resourceful and talented they are, and how peaceful they look as they work so diligently. Evidence of the tribe's hard work lies all around you in this ancient village. In the roundhouse just next door, you hear the sound of Iron Age tools. Following the sound, you enter the hut and find a group of metal workers. One heats a pot of gold upon a sizzling fireplace before pouring the boiling liquid metal into a large circular mould. Alongside him, another man flattens a strip of cooled gold with his hammer making a rhythm of clinks and clangs. The third man has the most labour-intensive job of all, though his face doesn't show it. With the use of his iron and leather tools, he hammers strips of flattened gold around a circular piece, causing them to twist and turn. The result is stunning, a coiled golden neck ring or torque necklace fit for the Celtic elite. You've never seen jewellery quite like it before. Wandering onwards, you pass many more roundhouses, observing various scenes outside and in. There are metal workers making shields and swords ready for battle. Occasionally, you see children crafting wooden slingshots and then firing them at nearby targets. There's an elderly woman sitting cross-legged at a large pottery wheel. She spins it using a wooden stick With wet hands, she smooths and caresses the clay at its centre. Soon after, the lump of misshapen clay is transformed into an elegant bowl. You watch her for some time as you find this peaceful scene to be quite soothing. The air is lovely out here. It's cool and refreshing, with a hint of something tantalising. You track the mouth-watering scent past homes and villages until you arrive at a big, rounded hut. This particular roundhouse seems larger and grander than the rest. 
and it soon becomes clear why. This is the residence of the Celtic Queen herself. Stepping inside, you find a warm and cosy room, heated by a wooden fire pit in the middle of the floor. Thick clouds of smoke rise upwards, escaping through a gap in the thatched roof above, leaving only the aroma of cooking food behind. The floor is lined with luxurious furs. Reaching down, you notice how soft they feel against your skin. More furs are positioned among mounds of golden straw. It's bedding, you realize, for the warrior queen and her daughters. You see them now, seated around the fireplace. The queen serves a fragrant meat stew from a cauldron at the fire. Bowls are soon filled with succulent meats and fresh aromatic vegetables. You take a ladle and a bowl and help yourself to a serving. And then you sit down upon the furs, ready to dine amongst the Celtic royal family. The stew is full of colourful homegrown leeks and cabbage, parsnips and carrots. You take a bite of the rich and hearty food. As the flavours dance around your tongue, You detect the tang of wild garlic and parsley too. It's a meal that fills you with comfort and warmth and makes you think of family and home. Beside you, Boudicca and her daughters enjoy the last few mouthfuls of their dinner before placing the empty bowls upon a low-standing wooden table behind them. From there, they pick up goblets of homemade mead, which they sip happily. The aroma is honey-sweet. The women talk merrily, sharing details of their day their faces glowing in the blaze of firelight. Only now do you notice that Boudicca herself is wearing a golden torque necklace, even nicer than the one you saw earlier. Countless bands are braided around its ornate, heavy base, and its ends are decorated with intricate Celtic knots. Her bright blue war paint has been carefully removed and her tartan cloak now hangs upon the wall. The warrior queen is even more striking when her face is illuminated by the golden flames. Her hair is a mass of fiery red curls and her piercing eyes sparkle like polished emeralds. You can imagine the fearsome spirit that lies within her. But there is also a kindness and tenderness to her demeanour that you hadn't noticed before. She is undoubtedly the warrior queen, but in the privacy of her home, she is also a loving mother. The girls talk happily about their day at the fort, and Boudicca shares stories from her adventures further afield. 
her eyes shine, as do the swords and shields positioned against the roundhouse walls. And her words lift spirits around the room. As you listen quietly, she tells her daughters that she plans to meet with the leaders of other local tribes to persuade them to join the Iceni. She will then defeat the Roman enemy for her girls and all her people. This she says as a matter of fact whilst braiding the hair of her eldest daughter. What a privilege it is to watch this scene unfold around you. How relaxed and content you feel here. Little do you know that nightfall is about to bring even more happy surprises. Seeing that the sky above has darkened, Boudicca leads her daughters out of the house. In the nearby grass, they lay side by side. Joining them, you gaze upwards just as they do, into a night sky gleaming with stars. You know that the Celts have a great reverence and respect for the stars. And you listen as they speak of the changing patterns and positions of constellations in hushed, soothing tones. Boudicca points to the North Star. This is the place Celtic souls will ascend in the afterlife, following the twisting stairway of stars below it. Here upon the grass, with the nighttime air brushing across your face, you are utterly at peace. Letting your eyes drift closed, you notice how light your body feels. So light that you are floating, transported through time and space, back to the library where this adventure first began. The glass ceiling of the atrium now separates you from the star-filled night. And the greenery beneath you is that of the plush, velvety cushions, rather than the grass outside Boudicca's roundhouse. Resting on a tartan cushion beside you, Your book has fallen open to a central page. It's a picture of the warrior queen and her daughters. You look upon it with a smile, thinking to yourself that it doesn't quite do her justice. The real person is much more impressive. Then, closing the book, you sink into the soft cushions and lay your thoughts to rest beside them. And then you drift off into a deep and dreamy slumber. <laughs>